Welcome to the Writer's Right Podcast, the show where every writer has the right to speak their mind. I'm your host, Joshua Howe, and as always, we'll be giving attention to the last thing my guest has written and the writing process. Today's guest is the founder slash editor-in-chief of the 94 Feet Report, uh, Pelicans and Grizzlies hoop writer at uh, Hoops Habit, a senior writer at SB Nation's Grizzly Bear Blues, and a content intern slash social media guy for the Washington Redskins. It's Eric Sparopoulos. How are you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, Josh? I'm pretty good. Um, it's NBA dead time, dead season. <laughs> so I'm like constantly uh, just kind of like craving basketball and not really getting any. I've been I watched all three of those uh, Duke games when they came. They they're here in Canada right now. I guess they'll probably be headed back soon. Now that they're done, they came and played three games against uh, Canadian university teams, Ryerson, U of T, and then McGill in Montreal. Um, I watched all three of those games because they were televised. I think they were televised in America, too, on ESPN+, Plus. I think. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, they were, all three were here on, like, TSN. And uh, that was, like, my basketball fix was me, like, watching that and just, like, staring at that. I need to – I really need to get more into the WNBA Everybody loves it so much, and I, I enjoy watching the WNBA when I do get there. I'm just, like, always distracted and, like, I never actually get there. Do you watch the WNBA at all? No, and I was planning to get into it this summer, but just so many other things happened. Um, like, the experience I had with the Redskins and some of the other writing positions that I've had. Um, I just I just couldn't have – the I just can't find the time, and I really want to. And I'm going to. Like, one of these – maybe next summer, I guess, um, I'll just have to sit down and really get into the WNBA. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same. I really want to. And now I just saw like Lindsay Whalen just retired and, uh, man. So now I'm going to have to go back and like watch her stuff if I want to see her because I didn't start watching soon enough. So got to do that before some of the other, uh, other older greats retire in the WNBA. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, uh, 94 feet report is, I remember when you like first started it and now it's like over a year old, right? yeah uh it's a year it's i think it's 13 months old now that's awesome yeah usually like a lot of these sites don't last that long so um good on you man for uh keeping that going and there's a lot of great content that comes out of there um i really enjoyed that uh live free agency bonanza that you guys threw and you had a bunch of guests and stuff it was really cool i had <laughs> slight technical difficulties <laughs> on my end and it was like um a bit later, I think I came on around near the end, like around one o'clock. Uh, so, and that was, I, that was on Canada day. So I think I had just come back also from being like out and like seeing fireworks and a whole bunch of stuff. And yeah, it was a wild night, but, uh, it was great. It was great. I uh, really enjoyed it. So all that stuff has been, has been really cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, that was a great time. Um, and yeah, I've been really proud of what the site's been able to do. Our draft content, I think has been top notch. Um, we just added a bunch of writers uh, a couple of weeks ago, so we're getting them integrated. And honestly, we've got bigger and better plans for year two. Um, things will s- slowly start trickling out to the public, um, in the next you know month or two leading up to the upcoming NBA season. Um, but we've got a lot of stuff working behind the scenes and we're really excited to show it to people. Yeah, definitely. Um, and you yourself too, just a uh, nonstop worker. You and um, Jackson Frank, who I had on last week, uh, you two, I see you guys on my timeline like all the time because you guys are just always writing and making content. And um, it's really cool. And I'm always like, I don't know how they, it takes me like, sometimes just like, especially in this time of the year, like, you know, it could take me up to a week or two to figure out something that I feel like I actually can write on. <laughs> so uh, I always find that really impressive. Um, and today we're talking about uh, one of your articles. You actually had two come out today. 
Um, and we could have talked about both, but I decided to pick one just because I feel like it'll give us enough content for uh, one podcast. But I'll definitely have you on again, and we can talk about you know the other team that you cover uh, most of the time, which is the Pelicans. But today I wanted to talk about your article on the Grizzlies, um, which you wrote over at uh, SB Nation. And uh, it's called Marcus Saul's Passing Will Drive the Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies are a really interesting team because they are in the Western Conference and uh, they had a really weird year last year with a whole bunch of injuries. Conley only played like 12 games and Gasol was having issues with Fizdale. And yet, you know, they, they didn't really like, they didn't really make. Uh, any big splashes to make you think that, okay, they're just totally going to start reworking the roster. Like, they still seem like they want to win. So it looks like their aim is going to be to try and make the playoffs. Do you think that's right? Uh, I don't think it's right. I think it's only mainly the only choice that they have, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Because at this point, you know, the question, the, the comments of, you know, just trade Gasol and Conley and start a rebuild. We don't know what they – they've probably been throwing out some feelers about potential trades like that, but we don't know what the potential return is. I mean Mike Conley makes $30 million a year. Obviously, you got a lot of injury concerns. Um, Gasol is aging. I think he's going to be, what, 34? Um, yeah. He's got a player option next year. You know, We'll see if he takes that. I, I doubt anyone would give him that money on the, on the open market. Um, but it's, it's not really just easy enough to just say – snap your fingers and just trade those two franchise centerpieces and get enough pieces to warrant a rebuild. I mean, they did that. They had that tank last year after the injuries. Um, you know, they had that whole debacle of not trading Tyreek Evans, which was terrible. Yeah. Um, and they, they sat him for most of the, you know, second half of the season and he had some nagging injuries. And so they, you know, once they realized that, you know, they, things were mailed in last season, they really did tank. And I think they got, one of, if not the best player in the class in Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, I could spend a whole hour just raving about him. <laughs> I promise I won't. Um, so they got they got that franchise centerpiece for the future. You know, the question and they added some other pieces like Kyle Anderson, who's 24 years old. Um, but really, you know, other moves they made. Garrett Temple trading for him was obviously a win now move. Um, obviously, keeping their two franchise cornerstones um, and Conley Gasol, they want to you know, hope that they stay healthy and that they make the playoffs. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to yeah. fall short because of just how good the West is. Yeah. Um, I think they can bounce back. I just don't think they can bounce back enough to actually make the playoffs in the West. And then that puts them in that kind of stage where you don't have too high of a draft pick, even though they're not going to have their pick because they owe it to the Celtics unless it's, I think it's top eight protected. Um, so they're in a weird spot. I just, I don't think it's going to turn out well for them next season. Um, you know, at least they got Jackson and maybe in two years from now they can start rebuilding, <laughs> but Jackson's only 18. So you know, they got time with him, I guess. Yeah, definitely got time with him. Um, and I, I also love Jackson. I was pleasantly surprised because I don't necessarily keep up on, uh, all of these prospects coming in from college ball. Um, but in summer league, I really liked him. Well, we'll talk a bit more about him later, but, uh, man, he's pretty exciting. Um, so, yeah, I also agree. Like, last year, the Grizzlies were 14th. That's where they finished. And, like I mentioned, they had a whole bunch of injuries, and Gasol was kind of going at the coach, and the coach was going to him, and whatever that was. And, um, you know, there were nights where he just wasn't uh, as inspired, Gasol. And it resulted in the season that they had, also in, you know, a tough Western Conference. And I, I think it's fair to say the West got tougher this summer, um, especially with Le- LeBron James going to the Lakers. So, like, right now, I did do um, my personal 
predictions for like one to eight kind of thing in the West and East. And I was talking about it last week um, with Jackson. I did it because we were trying to figure out where the Wizards would be. And we both kind of settled that the Wizards would be around sixth in the East. In the West, it's so much tougher because I think like once you get to around that eighth seed, like even seventh seed, like some of those teams, I mean, it could be any of them. Uh, I think I, I think right now I have the, the Pelicans in eighth and I don't even feel really great about it. And then I have, like, you know, Portland, Denver, and Memphis kind of just sitting on the outside looking in. And I and any of those teams, to me, you know, I mean, Portland was up there but this past season. Like, they were, like, third or whatever they were. And I don't know, because it's so brutal, because all the teams in the West last year were separated by just a few games, except for the top couple spots. So it's it's really tough. Do you think, you said you don't think they're probably going to make the playoffs. you think they're going to be on the outside looking in? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just looking at the standings from last year. So Denver was ninth. They had 46 wins. The yeah. Blazers were third seed in 49. So only three yep. games separated the ninth seed from the third seed, which yeah. is absurd. Um, and so I think Denver and the Lakers are two teams that didn't make it last year that are going to make it this year. So that means two teams that made it last year have to fall out. Um, and I haven't really sat down to do this, but I'll, you know, my initial instinct is that it's going to be the Blazers. Yeah. And the Spurs quietly. I don't want to make too many, yeah. too much noise. Yeah. Um, so you know th- th- that would be the way for Nuggets and Lakers, two teams that I think will get in this year to get in. That doesn't even mention the Grizzlies, um, mm-hmm. other teams like the Clippers who are really deep and can be tough. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs though. The the Mavericks are going to be much improved, um, mm-hmm. and they'll be kind of more of a tough out um, than they have been in recent seasons. So it's really just so hard in the Western Conference and. Um, I just I just don't see a way for the Grizzlies to, to get in, even if they stay fully healthy for the entire season, which, again, you really can't count on it at this point. Yeah, and I'm a huge, like, Luka Doncic stan. Like, ever since I watched him in EuroLeague, I was like, yeah, this guy, this is my number one pick. If they don't take him number one, they're crazy. Of course they didn't. And, um, yeah, that's my dude. So I'm super hyped about Doncic, and I, I don't think the Mavs are really that close to the playoffs, to be honest. Um, but, man, I love that team. going to be a fun league pass team, though. Um, yeah, I mean, I, they've been there's been a lot of talk about the Mavericks on Twitter, um, and maybe it was like last month. Um, and there was just a lot of people who were kind of throwing them out as you know potential team to make the playoffs. And I'm just like, what? How? I mean, they won yeah. 24 last year. I know they added Doncic, who I love. Um, DeAndre Jordan is a good player to help you win now, but yeah. I mean, they, they're not going to jump from 24 wins to 48 wins, without, which I think is like a bare minimum for what it'll take to get in. Um, or maybe like 46 or 47. Um, I, I don't see them making like a 20-win increase in one season. I think it's just more of a gradual thing. But I do think they're going to be fun and they're going to be better than they have been in previous seasons for sure. Yeah. And on, like, yeah, DeAndre Jordan makes that team, I think, especially fun just because he's the rim runner and they've got a few good passers and the athleticism of um, Dennis Smith Jr., uh, I think makes that a lot of fun. But, like, once you get past, like, you know, Dirk's not the Dirk of old anymore, and their bench isn't very good, and, you know, uh, yeah. they're going to be fun, but whatever. Um, so, yeah, back to the Grizzlies. Uh, so, Fizdale's obviously gone. He's now going to be coaching the Knicks. Um, and Gasol's got Jaron Jackson Jr. coming in. Um, so, I wondered, is this... Do you think this gives him more um, sort of like an inspiration to play this year because he has perhaps maybe a clearer goal and he has a young guy that he can mentor um, and just sort of hopefully a healthy roster around him? Like, do you think that this season he's just going to be more gun ho to 
to prove people wrong than ever before? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And I think he kind of has to because whether it was right or wrong, the reports were that he and Fisdale clashed and that was the main reason that Fisdale was fired. Yeah. Um, I think that I think their GM, Chris Wallace, I think he denied that report later on, but, you know, can't really take a GM's word for what it means. Um, so I think, you know, what you said, if they have a healthy roster, if they're actually, you know, somewhat close to the AC throughout the majority of the season, um, other vets that they added, like Garrett Temple, could be a nice piece in the locker room as well. I think all of those things combined um, kind of force Gasol's hands to, to kind of, you know, put his foot down and make sure that he's on top of his game. I mean, he put up decent stats last year. Uh, his efficiency took a big hit. Um, and but, but the big thing was that he just – every time you watched him play, he just looked like he was like pissed off or just didn't want to be there. Like he was just yeah. going through the motions. Um, and, you know, it's hard to blame him because he's obviously a guy in, his, in exiting his prime that wants to win. And last year they were stuck in a terrible year. They won 22 games. You know, every night he had that comment where he's not here to tank and, you know, people kind of took that the wrong way. Um but you could see on the court, and he kind of lost his joy, um, and that's something I touch upon in the in the article. Um, we can talk about it a little bit more, um, but just kind of from that perspective of what you brought up, I, I think he kind of has to um, not give more effort, but just kind of get be more engaged on a night to night basis. And I think a healthy roster um, with a coach that he seems to like, um, and a, you know, a rookie like Jaron Jackson and other vets that they added, I think all of those things combined will will lead to that from Gasol. Yeah, it's interesting. Every single player sort of has their um, prime mindset to, you know, play at their best. Like the example I always go to, and I've probably mentioned on this podcast before, but when LeBron James went to Miami that first year and, um, they had the first year of the Heatles and everybody turned on them and they were the, t- the NBA's villains. Everybody hated the heat. They wanted the heat to lose. And LeBron said, okay, fine. I'll, you want a villain? I'll be your villain. And he kind of changed like his not necessarily the way he played but you could just see it in how he was playing he was like trying to you know prove people wrong and almost play angry and stuff like that and that's not really who LeBron is and he kind of figured it out himself after you know they lost the finals that year um and I think in a part of that due to their own hubris and he came back and he was you know he admitted that he he needed to play like um like himself, like the joyful player that he is, because he plays being happy. That's people always say if you see LeBron dancing before a game, that's a you're in trouble kind of thing. So I think that's a big thing. So you know, when you can see it, especially a player you've watched for a while, um, and and clearly like you've been you've seen it with Gasol. Like last season, there's just the visible tension of all the stuff going on behind the scenes, and it was manifesting itself on the floor. Um, you know, it. it it, sometimes it just, you know, it might not show itself in, like, some of the numbers, uh, especially the counting stats and stuff like that, but I, I think it really does take a toll on guys and affect guys, and um, if they're just in the proper place, I think I think they play much better when they're like themselves. Yeah, and and I definitely happened with Gasol, and, and I don't want to use that as, like, the main reason for his decline. I think that his decline is just natural aging. I think yeah. that he'll, he'll never be the player he was two or three years ago. Um, I think that, you know, maybe the numbers stay the same this upcoming season, um, and they were pretty good, as I said. You know, they were, like, mm-hmm. 17, uh, like, 17 points a game, eight rebounds a game, like, four assists per game. Those could stay the same, but really what's going to change is his engagement, 
uh, maybe his effort from time to time. Obviously, it's hard for him to give full effort at 33 years old when his teams won 20, 20 games, you know, in, in April. Um, it's going to be hard for him to do that. But if they're, you know, fighting for the playoff spot um, come March, um, if his team's healthy, if he's got his buddy Mike Conley there, maybe Jaron Jackson has really stepped up more than we think, um, you know, in his rookie season. He's making more of an impact. All those things combined, while the stats might stay the same for Gasol, maybe the effort from a play-to-play perspective changes. He's more happy. He's dancing. He's celebrating a little bit more, having a little bit more fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can wear off on his teammates, especially the young guys. So hopefully if they're healthy and competitive, Gasol will be at his best um, performance-wise and personality-wise, which will help you know the other veterans in the locker room and obviously, more importantly, Jaron Jackson Jr. Yeah, and so your article is... Um mostly focused on the fact that Gasol is a great playmaker and this season especially if he has a uh, healthy roster uh, he won't have to be that guy who's like has the entire offense going through him pretty much every possession Um, hopefully will help his efficiency and stuff like that and just lighten the load on him Um, because it's it's hard to you know have a big especially an aging big um, constantly be the guy you're going through all the time and expecting him also to play really well on defense so uh, and like your article points out, he can be a great facilitator because he's a really good passer. Um, and, you know, people always talk about Jokic, like you mentioned in your article. Everybody loves watching Jokic pass because he is a great passer. And uh, people sometimes forget about Gasol and how great of a passer he is. And uh, the additions that they brought in this year and some of the other players that, you know, are already there um, who have already learned to play with him um, are good off-ball players. So that's exciting to look forward to. And, um it might make the uh, transition for some of these guys like Kyle Anderson, um, even Jaron Jackson Jr. and Garrett Temple. Uh, it might make it easier for them if they, you know, already know how to play off ball and uh, are ready to, you know, just be prepared for Gasol's really strong playmaking. Yeah. Um, and listen, Kyle Anderson already has experience cutting to the rim and getting passes from a Gasol. It was Paul, but it was not Mark. Uh, but he's already got experience doing that, so I think the fit will be, uh, you know, pretty easy for him. But, but that was basically the perspective. You know, all, every summer there seems to be an argument about Nikola Jokic um, on Twitter, and oh, I, I can't yeah. stand it. But I what I can not stand is I love people celebrating Jokic's passing because I think his passing is so unique, especially from uh, his position. Um, but I think people, and this is going back to what we just talked about, about Marco Sol kind of losing that joy um, in his game um, last season. People forget that Marco Sol was the guy who received that kind of admiration for his passing ability as a big man before Jokic, you know, rose to stardom. Mm-hmm. Um, it was all, you know, Marcus Sol has been averaging, you know, over three and a half assists per game for the past like four or five seasons now. Um, he doesn't get upwards of Jokic's. I think Jokic averaged over six assists per game last year, but the Grizzlies run a different offense. Um, and I don't, and I think Jokic is, you know, one of, if I think Jokic is probably the best passer and big man ever. Uh, but, Marcus Stoll is still a great passer for a big man. Um, whether you're cutting to the rim or he gets a rebound and he throws a full court length path, I've got a, a, you know specific play um, examples and clips in the article to showcase kind of his um, variety of passing ability. Um, but really, it's what it comes down to is. The guys that were there last year, like Dylan Brooks, Mike Conley's obviously been around for a while. Um, they know what it's like to play alongside Gasol, and it's really important that the new guys know how to fit in, and really mainly Kyle Anderson because his limited shooting makes him makes his fit as an off-ball player more of a question mark. Uh, but as I talk about in the article, and I have 
uh, about three video examples. Anderson is more than willing to cut. I think that playing in the Spurs system kind of helped him out and will help him out a lot in Memphis. Mm-hmm. Um, just because teams won't guard him from beyond the arc, so he's going to have to cut. And when teams, you know, focus in on, on Mark, kind of getting into the low post and trying to operate there, Anderson is, has showcased his ability to cut um, and his ability to finish around the rim, which I think is going to be really important. Um, Garrett Temple can cut as well, but it's not as important for Temple because he can actually hit three-pointers. Mm-hmm. Um, for a limited shooter like Anderson, he, the only way he's really going to get off, get involved in the offense when he doesn't have the ball is cutting um, and getting a pass from a Gasol or Conley um, or Temple or somebody like that. So I dive into how Anderson can fit in. I dive into you know Mark's passing ability um, and you know how the two can coexist and, and form a nice offense um, for the Grizzlies this season. Yeah, and uh, I'm really high on Dylan Brooks too, Canadian kid. I really like him. And he was in the uh, rookie sophomore game, whatever they call it, Rising Stars last season. Um, I like him a lot. In terms of uh, cutting, he obviously spent some time with Gasol already, so he already kind of knows how that's going. And uh, when I looked up uh, cutting, uh, just as you know, as a play, um, he's in the 70th, 70th percentile for uh, cutters last season, so that's good. Um, and I'm sure he'll only get better as he keeps going. Anderson, surprisingly, a little surprisingly to me, I guess, uh, he was in the 87th percentile for cutting last season. So, like, dude knows how to cut. And when <laughs> and when he does, he scores almost every single time. So, like, he shouldn't be uh, any problem for him. Uh, you know, I don't think he needs to be reminded to move around off ball because, like you mentioned, he's not much of a three-point threat at all. Um, so that's what he does. That's how he creates his own sort of gravity, his own space. And when guys just forget about him and leave him, uh, especially along the baseline, I noticed they'll leave him in the corner a lot to come over and double somebody like um, Aldrich last season, you know, who's a really great threat, especially if he gets somebody on the block down low. As soon as that other guy comes over, and that if that big is able to make that pass, uh, Anderson's already cutting along the baseline and just ready to you know, go up for an easy dunk or get a layup or whatever. People just seem to forget about him because he's not much of a threat. Um so that so that's great because obviously like your whole piece is about I mean Gasol can make all those passes I mean he's he can pretty much hit guys from almost anywhere I mean he can do like like you mentioned the Kevin Love like transition passes where he throws like the football uh, passes and he can make the passes from the top of the key and when he's down on the block because he can see over almost everybody uh, especially in today's NBA where you know. Uh, you could you could potentially have a guy who's significantly shorter than him down on the block on, at the four or the five. Uh, he just he can see everything and has great vision and you know if guys are going to start cutting he can find them. Yeah, and that's pretty much you know the whole gist of the article and, and what I wanted to look up and just see is that a lot of people have been questioning Kai Anderson's fit um, with the Grizzlies on the offensive end. Obviously, you know he's a really good defender and they're all about defense, um, but I think that. Just looking at his ability to cut and his success, the success he's had when he's cut um, in previous seasons, especially last year in San Antonio, and you cu- you couple that with hopefully a healthy Mike Conley, who's a very dynamic offensive player, um, you know, taking another step for guys like Dylan Brooks, Garrett Temple's addition of, as a shooter um, and, and secondary playmaker, and then you know Kyle Anderson's playmaking himself as you know he's also able to serve as a guy who could take a load off of Mike Conley and Mark Gasol, and then when Gasol has the ball. As you just mentioned, Anderson, you know, is really good at cutting and really successful at cutting. So, you know, that's those are a couple of reasons why I'm I'm pretty high on Anderson's fit in the offense. I think he's going to be obviously a nice fit defensively, but 
you know, there were, most of the question marks about that signing were, can he fit in the offense for a team that might not have enough shooting? Um, you know, he's just such a kind of unique player. Will it really fit in? And I think that his cutting, Gasol's passing, and hopefully a healthy Mike Conley and other players like Dylan Brooks and Temple um, and stuff like that, I think all those a- aspects can make it a more intriguing and promising offensive fit than people are, are thinking on the surface for in terms of Anderson. Yeah, I mean, I, d- I think they're definitely going to be a better defensive team than they are an offensive team. Um, yeah. But but I think that their offense is still going to be like not as bad as people think. I think think some people assume that their offense is just going to be um, kind of bottom tier. I don't think it's going to be that bad, especially if Connolly stays healthy because, you know, he's hurt so much of the time that people forget how good he really is. He's really quite good. Um, and, of course, then there's Jaron Jackson Jr., who's a bit of a wild card. But like you said earlier, like you could talk about him forever. Like I'm excited about him too. I couldn't believe just how great defensively he was in summer league. Like I know it's summer league, but like, whatever, this is when the rookies get to showcase what they can do. And man, he was fun. Um, what a defender. He can shoot the three, which I did not know. Um, but of course, you know, that's one of the, the things about the modern NBA, you get all these bigs coming in and they can shoot threes now. And I, I had no idea because I didn't know much about Jaron Jackson Jr. Before summer league. And, um, he had some really, some great nights shooting the ball. And uh, you mentioned in your article that that could be really big for the Grizzlies if he is able to stretch the floor for them. Um, that would be that'd be huge. Yeah, that that's going to be a question mark. Uh, one of the early question marks that kind of gets solved um, in his rookie season is is his shooting. Can it translate to the NBA um, beyond summer league and beyond you know the, the shooting that he had in college, which was kind of limited and. He has a unique release and, you know, really get it off against NBA caliber defenders. And, you know, if he's going to play alongside Gasol, which hopefully will happen sooner rather than later, I think there was a report um, this week that they're going to bring him along slow um, and have uh, Michael Green start at power forward Mm -hmm. initially. Um, And I think that Jackson's position, his full time position for his career will be center um, because in today's NBA, you know, yeah. that's where he can be truly unlocked. He can switch defensively, which is a huge thing in today's NBA. And he can space the floor, especially at the center position. Um, and he should be able to do it capably at the power forward position as well. But really, the, I think their plan is to just play him alongside Gasol, you know, get him some minutes at center during his rookie and sophomore year. And then at that point, Gasol's contract will be over. And I don't think that they're going to try and bring him back at that point. He'll be, I think, 35 or 36. I don't even know if he's going to be in the league, honestly. Um, mm-hmm. So at that point, I think they're going to just going to give the reins to Jackson at, at the center position. Um, and he'll be able to thrive from then on. Um, I think he'll be like age 20 or 21 at that point. Still that young. Um but yeah, as I mentioned in the article, for this upcoming season, his ability to hit three-pointers at at least a league average rate will be huge because if he can't hit them and he's playing alongside Gasol at the power forward position um, and Anderson's at small forward, I know Anderson can cut. You're not going to rely on Jackson to really cut like like an, like a pro would or a veteran would. Um, that's going to make it a little bit more tough because teams will just stop guarding Jackson beyond the arc and that defender can come over and, um, you know, double Gasol or get the ball out of Gasol's hands. Meanwhile, the other players um, like Conley and Anderson, they'll still be guarded. Um, but if Jackson can shoot like he did um, anywhere close to, you know, summer league or even just, you know, at a league average rate, they're going to ha- his defender is going to have to stay with him beyond the arc. And that will open up more cuts for Conley or Anderson um, or maybe even some big, big pick and rolls um, between Gasol and Jackson with Gasol handling the ball or big, big pick and pops. There are a lot of things you can do, but it all matters. It really all comes down to Jackson's ability to hit three pointers. And he shot well in college and he shot well in summer league. 
the release kind of gives me question marks if it's going to instantly happen for him in his rookie season. And I think eventually he'll be able to hit threes at a league average rate or better, especially at the center position. Um, but for this upcoming season, that you know, that's kind of an area of, of question mark for this offense and, and for Jackson. Yeah, I think against second units, um, he's going to be pretty good, quite good, especially like on defensively. I think he'd be, he's going to be great against second units. Uh, I think that, you know, in the minutes that he does get alongside Gasol would be um, pretty relieving for Gasol, honestly, because um, he'll have some legitimate help on the defensive end. Um, not that Green isn't, like, great on the defensive end or anything. Not that he's, you know, or, sorry, not that he's terrible on the defensive end. I'm not trying to say that. I just I just think that, I, I really do think that Jackson's a really fantastic defender um, and is only going to get better. Um, but especially for Gasol, who... Uh, has a lot asked from him on the offensive end. I think you saw a little bit last season that he slipped a little bit defensively, and I think that was part of the reason, was just because he was doing so much on offense. And I know that's not really like people always say that's not an excuse. Basketball's to a to a game, blah blah blah. I understand that, but you also have to look at the realities of like this is an older player. He's a big, um, you know. They te- they tend to, uh, especially if they've had any injury history at all and stuff like that. They'll um, they wear down faster. It's it's bigs and um, really small guards. They tend to wear down faster um, unless they have a game that, uh, you know, like a Dirk or a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar where they have uh, certain types of shots that basically keep them uh, in the game. But, you know, and Gasol is working on that kind of stuff. But, yeah, I just, I just think he really could use the help um, and it might make him, you know, might free him up to be a little bit better on both ends. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Jackson, I think also is like, I think it's in a weird way. You can kind of compare him to like, just because I have him on the brain, Pascal Siakam in a way. Um, he's obviously bigger than Siakam and, and a little different, but um, but he has that same like switchability, great defensive um, instincts. Uh, he doesn't have a ton of post moves. He's a better shooter than Siakam already. Um, unless um, everyone's believing the hype about the videos that came out with the summer about Siakam, which whatever, I don't think you should ever believe the videos until the NBA starts, but yeah, hoodie mellow is the perfect example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Hoodie mellow. Oh my goodness. (laughs) I think he's doing that again this summer, but nobody's really talking about it. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I just think, I think that's like, that's the type of player I think you're going to see when um, Jackson's out there. And I, I think he really is going to crush it against uh, second units. And hopefully Gasol can kind of like mentor him um, offensively a bit and like maybe um, give him some things to work on um, some other, some other extra kind of moves around the basket and stuff like that. That would be, that'd be great. Uh, but yeah, but yeah, I'm really high on him. So uh, that'd be really cool. Uh, and I mean, Gasol himself, like, like as I was saying, he just, his last season was not really an efficient one. Um, when I was looking up the numbers, like he wasn't great as the pick and roll guy last year. Um, as the role guy, he was in like the 38th percentile and like a similar percentile for post-ups and stuff. But it was mostly because like just the efficiency was, was lacking because he had so little help and because he was, you know, the guy that they were going through every single time. Um, he's still scoring a fair amount, but compared to, you know, the amount of times he was doing it, it just wasn't efficient. So I hope that stuff kind of changes this season. And I think a lot of it, again, a lot of that kind of stuff has to do with like Connolly being around because he just he has such a big impact on this team that no one ever really talks about because he's hurt so much. Um, it's kind of like you know he's around and then he gets hurt and then uh, they talk about it for a week and then it's like well you know he's gone again so whatever we're just gonna forget about it. But you know when Connolly and Gasol have played together they've been really good. 
Yeah, Mike Conley is still extremely underrated. I mean, he averaged – so in 16-17, obviously last year he only played 12 games, so it really doesn't matter, and his numbers took a little bit of a hit. Um, but in 16-17, his last like full season, I guess you could call it, um, yeah. the two was insane. I mean, he averaged 20 points and six assists per game. Um which is just, I mean, you know, he's shooting 40% on threes. Like, this guy is so dynamic and so important to the offense. You can't just, like, throw it away like, oh, yeah, you know, Mike Conley was hurt, but they still were terrible. Well, they were terrible because, you know, he's, I mean, at this point, if he can actually get back to that level, he's their best player. Mm-hmm. Um, and when your best player is gone at the point of attack, especially a point guard, and he's good defensively, that's huge. I mean, it's, it's not like something to just brush off. So I agree that Conley, if he can stay healthy, is going to be huge for Gasol and it's going to be huge for the offense. It'll help the defense. It'll help the kind of locker room presence as he's a leader. Um, just so many positives to talk about with Mike Conley. If he can stay healthy, it's going to make a huge difference for the Grizzlies. Um, but yeah, um, going back to Jackson a little bit. Um, I think that if they're going to bring him off the bench, I think that it'd be interesting to see him play backup center really. Um, you know, get him some minutes with Gasol, with Jackson playing at the power forward. But then I also want to see him get minutes at center, even as even in his rookie season, mm-hmm. um, just because that's his position of the future. They don't really have backup centers on the team that are better than him. Um, obviously, I don't think so, um, considering how high we are uh, on Jackson. Yeah. Um, so I think that if he can get you know a split at the two positions, that'll be that'll benefit him the most um, moving forward. Um, it also I think will benefit the team. I mean, because at center again, as I said, you can really unlock his shooting, his switchability, his rim protection, all of that is just better served at center than it is at power forward. So uh, we'll see what they do with their front court rotation. Um, you know, Kyle Anderson, also a guy who can play power forward um, in small ball lineups and something they should definitely explore, especially if they want to fit another shooter into the lineup and use, you know, Anderson as a playmaker at the, at the power forward position. That could be very interesting offensively. Um, so, you know, the more you dive into this Grizzlies team um, and this combination of age of veterans and young players, um, and the type of players they have, you kind of get more interesting angles on this team, especially at an offensive end, you know? Um, so I think that it'll be fascinating to see what they do, um, with this team offensively, what they do with Jackson, how that benefits Gasol, if Conley can stay healthy. Um, there's such so many interesting aspects for this team that there, that I'm, I can't wait to see unfold on the court, honestly. Yeah. I mean, I also, uh, quickly on the uh, Mike Conley thing, I think like if he had, if the, Grizzlies were in the East, or if Conley, I guess, was in the East, he would have been an all-star at least once by now. And, yeah. like, yeah. nobody nobody ever talks about that, really. Except for, like, the big hoop heads, or if you're a Memphis fan. Like, nobody really talks about that. He's he's that good of a player. He's not, like, you know, it's not like they're just missing a solid starting point guard. Like, he's an all-star caliber player. Um, and especially also, and, of course, a really good defensive player. And, um two of the, you know, him and Gasol are two of the last uh, remaining players from the grit and grind era, <laughs> even though they're kind of trying to, like... Oh, could, they're going back to it. Yeah, it's grit and say, grind 2.0, honestly. Yeah, this is, like, the new version, I guess. I, I did see some people talking about that kind of stuff, and this is kind of like that, especially with, like, Anderson, who's a good defender and stuff like that. Do you think they're going to miss um, Tyreek Evans a significant amount because uh, he played so well last year? Or um, do you think that uh, they'll be able to replicate that without much issue? Um, I mean, I think they'll miss him, you know, if they miss Mike Conley. I mean, I think that if Conley was healthy last year, I don't think you see quite the season that Evans had. I mean, yeah. Evans, I, don't, I think people are kind of overlooking that. Evans averaged 19 points, five assists, and five rebounds, shooting yeah. 40% on three pointers. He was unreal. On, yeah, he was on great. five and a half attempts per game from three, um, which is 
absurd because uh, he wasn't really much of a shooter at that level um, any season before that. So um, he had a great year. They should have traded him at the deadline to get you know at least a couple second round picks or something, yeah. um, especially if they knew they weren't going to re-sign him. Um, uh, I think that if Conley stays healthy and Brooks takes another step up um, as a secondary playmaker and still hits threes at an above league average rate um, and Temple – is a quietly a kind of tertiary playmaker and he can average a couple of assists per game and handle a ball. Um, and he can shoot threes. I think, you know, I think it was like 38% last year. I think the combination of those two, they got guys like Wayne Selden, um, who can contribute. Marshawn Brooks played, I think like six games for the Grizzlies and shot like 50% from three and, and just like went off offensively. Um, I think, They'll miss him to some extent. They'll definitely miss him if Conley goes down again, um, or really they'll miss him if any backcourt player goes down again. But I think if Conley stays healthy and Brooks and Temple and uh, Selden and Harrison and all these other you know smaller role players they have in the backcourt, I think they can all collectively combine to to replace Evans's production. Um, but you know, I think that they could certainly miss him. He, he averaged 31 minutes a game for them last year, um, partly due to Conley missing a lot of time, partly due to because he was really awesome last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they miss him, um, but I don't think they miss him that much for it to really make a difference between them making the playoffs or them, you know, being on the outside looking in. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the uh, the bigs. I also think it's interesting that you, um, you mentioned, you know. Um, couple times in the article but again near the end about um Jokic and his passing and and just in passing bigs in general and we're kind of we're in this time in the NBA where um a lot of people mostly casual fans but um a lot of people don't seem to think that bigs are nearly as important as they were anymore or as they were they used to be um and that's not true it's just different and and like like anything, um, the Spurs are always a great example of this because Popovich is obviously one of the best coaches, but you always have to be trying to find the best way to get the most out of your personnel. And, you know, that that's, um, that's whatever skills that they're best at. Obviously, you try to utilize the most and maximize those the most. And when you have a big like Gasol or like Jokic um, that can pass the way they do, it would be kind of silly not to use it. And it's not like just because the NBA is going away from um, having traditional skill set bigs out there all the time, uh, mostly because of defense uh, nowadays. But um, it's not like they're not useful anymore, or that they aren't used at all. I mean, like like we just mentioned, Jokic and Gasol both are. Um, and, you know, these are teams that... Um, they run a lot of their offense through these guys because they can, because they have two bigs that are uh, really good at running plays and um, just instinctual passers. And, like, you know, there are a bunch of teams that do this. I mean, like, not even that long ago when uh, Golden State had Bogut on that team, like, it wasn't Steph initiating a lot of plays. Like, Bogut was doing a ton of them because then Kerr was able to utilize, you know, Clay Thompson and... Steph Curry's ability to run around off screens, which they were really good at, um, playing off ball, and then Bogut, who's a great passer, um, would be able to find them and get them easy shots, and um, that that's the way they'd be running through teams. I mean, even Philadelphia nowadays, they run a lot of stuff out of the post and not necessarily as much pick and roll as you think they'd be running. Like, the league isn't just, you know, ignoring big men. I think that's a little bit of um, just an oversight by a lot of people, and... Um, I, I think that, you know, it's only going to continue to, uh, to go this way and be 
you know, a league where big men who can pass, like, they're always going to have a place here. Kevin Love, too, like we mentioned earlier, like, you know, making those uh, full-court passes and stuff. And you'll probably see more um, initiation, play initiation coming from him this season when he's, like, the guy in Cleveland now. So I just I just think that's been a bit overstated. And I like that uh, you pointed that out, that, you know, like, the bigs that can still pass, like, teams are utilizing that. Yeah, and if you if you utilize them well, you know, you can get a absurdly good offense like the Nuggets will have this season. Uh, you know, the Grizzlies, I don't think, have done, you know, too well to kind of give Gasol the offensive pieces to have a really good offense built around his playmaking. Um, but other teams like the Celtics, Al Horford, you could say, was their most valuable player last season, and he's obviously yeah. a big, um, and he can playmake and do a bunch of other things as well. But I agree, those, those bigs that can playmake – um, it's a big bonus as Horford, Jokic, and Gasol can do to, to shoot threes. That also helps in today's NBA. Um, you know, those components, if a big man has those components to their game, they're going to be not only stay in the league, but be prominent players on their team, you know, I think forever, honestly, because additional playmaking from, from the center position can catch a defense off guard, um, can give, you know, like you said, what the Warriors did just allows their guards and wings to run off screens and, you know, be creative and, and cut to the rim sometimes. That's what the Nuggets do a lot. Uh, dribble handoffs. Jokic, you know, always has like 10 sets of eyes, I think, when his players um, like Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Will Barton, et cetera, all those cut to the rim. He can always make the right pass at the right time. Um, Horford's kind of the same way. Um, Kevin Love, like you said. So these these bigs that can adapt, um, some of them obviously are extremely talented, all-star level you know, players that have that playmaking ability already. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of them didn't have the three-point shooting ability, uh, and they add that. Um, so you know, these bigs that can work on their passing and their shooting – um, that's the key way that they're going to stay in the league. And, you know, I know that Marcus Gasol clashed with David Fisdale, but he should be thanking him because I think Fisdale is going to extend Gasol's career by a couple of years because he was the main reason Gasol started shooting all those three-pointers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people I don't think realize that before the 2016-17 season, Gasol did not shoot threes. Uh, he, he attempted 3.6 per game that season, 2016-17. In 2015-16, he attempted 0.1 threes per game. Yeah. <laughs> so from from the 15-16 season in which he attempted 0.1 threes per game to last year when he attempted 4.4 per game, mm. that shooting might keep Gasol in the league with his playmaking as well. Might keep Gasol in the league an extra two to three years. That, that that that's how valuable shooting is, especially for a big man in today's NBA. So you know he might not like David Fisdale as a coach overall, but he should be sending him thank you letters and flowers all the time because he ingrained in Gasol's head how important shooting is in today's NBA and. The Grizzlies' offense and Gasol's career should should really you know thank and benefit um, from Fisdale's kind of modern touch that he had on for the year and you know twelve games that he had um, as their head coach. Yeah, and I mean, thankfully, uh, like Gasol was a uh, prior to that, like he always had nice shooting touch. So I, I you know Fisdale obviously saw that and was like, oh well, all you have to really do is extend your range a little bit, and then like you'll be hitting threes, and there you go. Um, so thankfully, like that is a huge deal for him, and uh, I d- I don't think it would have been. Obviously, Gasol was like uh, not super into it, uh, <laughs> especially at the beginning. But I mean, I mean, it's worked out well for him. I, I I like he he did it so quickly, like the transition so quickly that you have to believe that like it couldn't have been too difficult for him. I think um, just skills wise to get there. Um, but when you can do it, you know, when you when you're able to do that at this uh at this level in the nba and like you can just kind of turn that on like you might as well um because it's only going to keep you around longer like you said 
Um, so I want to talk to you about uh, just writing stuff now, um, quickly, near the end of this, as we uh, talk about your article. Um, I did want to mention, like, so your article has a lot of video in it, um, a lot of examples, which is really great. Um, I actually saw a post or a poll recently. Somebody asked on Twitter, I can't remember, it was, like, a pretty big writer, asked about um, whether or not people actually want video in articles or if they actually watch the video in articles, which is a great question because I have that question a lot. Like, I'll be putting video in my articles and I have no idea if people are actually watching them or if they want to watch them or not. Um, and surprisingly, that poll was... Uh, had a lot of people say yes they actually do love video and want to have video in there which was nice to see because you know for us for uh, writers like us who put a, a video in there to show you know examples of what we're talking about um, you know we were hoping that people will actually watch them because you know it takes a little bit to like search them out and find them and make them some cases <laughs> so um, did you find uh, writing about like one granular aspect of a player's game interesting in this case uh Gasol's passing because like last season I wrote about CJ Miles' shooting in like a similar sort of sort of way um specifically like just his shooting and uh it was really it was actually really fun just to like just to pick apart the shooting and get really specific into it yeah I enjoy it and especially I mean I, I just have such a joy for big men that can pass um and so you know I was thinking of what to potentially write because I hadn't written for uh, Grizzly Bear Blues, I think, in like two weeks. And I was like, you know, I really want to dive into another Grizzlies article. Um, what's an aspect that people, you know, aren't really talking about or something that will affect the new players that join the team this summer? And I instantly kind of gravitated toward Gasol's passing because, as I said earlier, you know, there's no more attention to him as a passer because, you know, Jokic has kind of stolen that away from him. Mm. Um, and then, you know, looking at how Anderson and Jackson um, and Temple can fit in, you know, what's a key way that they can fit in? Well, it's playing alongside Gasol and making sure that they cut effectively and on a regular basis to utilize his playmaking. So I kind of – that's the way I landed on his playmaking as something I wanted to write upon uh, – write on, I should say. Um, and from there, I kind of, as you said, looked for the clips of interesting or really good passes that he made or passes that were made to basic cuts that almost any NBA player can do if they're willing to do it. Um, taking those clips – writing about them, integrating them in, and then looking for clips on how Anderson cuts um, to talk about how he can fit in really nicely. Um, and, you know, there was plenty of examples of him cutting because, you know, as we talked about earlier, he is certainly willing to do it and is really successful at doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, you know, that was my process for this article is I kind of looked for a topic that would affect multiple players and the team itself um, and combining them into one specific focus on a player. And that happened to be Gasol's passing because it's a big part of his game and therefore you know, as a result of him being a big part of the team, his passing becomes a big part of the team um, on the offensive end. So that's kind of how I got to this article. And then I try and include video examples, um, I'd say, in like 80 percent of my articles, because um, sometimes when I, I want to reference a specific aspect of a player's game, um, the best way to do it for me is, you know, some stats, but then also some video as well. Yeah. Um, I never like to just throw out stats like, you know, if this guy is shot you know, within, you know, this guy shot 65% from within three feet of the rim. Um, are those basic layups or are those kind of advanced, you know, reverse 360 layups that he's really good at finishing around the rim and has that kind of touch. So if I can find a film example about his great finishing or multiple clips would be better. Um, then I'm always going to do that, um, when I can to support the stats and support my own personal claims. 
Yeah, the answer to analytics Twitter versus eye test Twitter has always been the same. I don't even know why we've ever had this debate, but the answer is both. You need yeah. both. Um, it's just that's the way you get nuance. It's the best way to really break something down. Um, it's the best way to show it to somebody else. Uh, that's always been the answer. The answer is both. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like, I think I have video in every any article where I'm actually like talking about uh, a player's game specifically or um, breaking something down like that. I always have video. Um, even some articles where it's like it doesn't necessarily need it, but just like if the article is pretty long and you want to break it break it up a little bit um so you you know you stick a video in there that's like relevant it might not be specifically what to what you're talking about but it might just be relevant um i'll do that too so yeah i find video is pretty useful um and i, I also yeah i wanted to ask about like okay so like i mentioned at the top of this podcast um you're one of uh, nba twitter's hardest workers at least in my opinion because i see your stuff all the time um like so much that like I don't get to read all of it because I see so much and I'll like, I'll like tag it and be like, yeah, I'm going to get to this. And then like, (laughs) you know, I just don't get to it because there's so much, uh, so much stuff on, uh, on Twitter that I want to read. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, uh, how do you constantly find new topics to write on? Cause that's, I know for writers like me, I definitely have, uh, have that issue. And, um, last week I talked a little bit about it with Jackson, uh, Jackson Frank, who was on and he talked about it uh, saying that he does it through, um, conversation. Like that's why he'll constantly, uh, ask, you know, just people on Twitter, like you want to talk about basketball. Cause that's where he kind of gets his writing topics from. Yeah. And I've actually started to do that as well. Um, one, because I want to kind of initiate that conversation with my followers. Um, and two, if it, if it leads to some to- article topics, that'd be great. Um, oftentimes when I do throw out those questions of, if anyone wants to talk about hoops, um, I get a lot of, people who are Pelicans fans or Grizzlies fans or Nuggets fans or Rockets fans, the teams that I'm associated with, I could say. Um, so sometimes, you know, those people asking me a question like, how is this player going to fit? Or um, how can this team use this player? Or is there a trade happening? Like sometimes, you know, not only is it, you know, bring up a great Twitter conversation for the most part, if people are respectful of the different viewpoints, um, <laughs> it can also lead to an article idea. Um, and for, me, that's usually when I'm covering the Pelicans and Nuggets for Hoops Habit that um, I have to write a certain number of articles per month. Um, mm. That is one way to get those article topics. Um, so I do that as well. I started doing that as, as Jackson did as well. And I give credit to him for kind of inspiring that um, f- way to kind of create conversation and article topics. And the other thing is um, – like I said, you know, sometimes I'm just like looking up things about a team that I cover. Um, you know, just sometimes it's a random night and I'm just looking, you know, just honestly not even looking to write about something, just doing some research on stats um, and sometimes some video examples. And I'll, you know, realize a trend or, or something notable that point, that kind of sticks out to me. And I'll, I'll think about, you know, is this worth an article? What way could I, you know, write about this? What angle is there to take about this specific part of this player's game or this team's offense or, or something like that? Um, so those are the two main ways that I come up with article ideas, but I did struggle. Um, it was in May, I think where I just didn't write at all. I don't think I wrote for almost all of April and all of May. Um, and that was due to, you know, other things that I was working on with, you know, schoolwork and, and traveling a little bit, but there was also that point where I couldn't come up with, article topics. Um, and at that point I was covering the rockets for hoops habit and I just, I didn't have the time to really dive into researching different topics and I didn't have the kind of inspiration. Like you said, sometimes you can struggle with coming up with topics. Um, and that happened to me for April, 
and May um, and most and some of June. And then I joined Grizzly Bear Blues in late June and started writing there. And I just joined rejoined Hoops Habit um, this past week. And I've already written three articles in the past week for Hoops Habit. Um, so I went through that lull, too, of not having topics, not having that inspiration. I think every writer goes through that. But like Jackson does, kind of initiating conversation and potential article topics on Twitter. And then just from time to time, having some time to do some quirky or interesting research about a team. And then that later that developing into an article, those are the two main ways that I kind of keep up with, um, the pace that I'm at right now. Yeah, that's, um, that's definitely one of the better ways to do it. I think, um, I, I'll sometimes get like, uh, ideas as well. Just usually, I don't usually do the full on discussion things. Maybe I should do it once more. I did it once recently. Um, when I was just like, it was before I had an exam or something and I, um, wasn't tired and I was supposed to be going to sleep early, but I wasn't tired. So I just hopped on Twitter and was like, Hey, anybody have any questions about, you want to talk about hoops and, uh, got a lot of Raptors people, um, uh, cause that's the team I write about the most. So, um, it was good. I had some good conversation there. So that definitely does help. That's one of the, one of the nice parts about Twitter. Um, it can do that kind of stuff for you. So that's pretty cool. Uh, real quick, I wanted to ask you, do you have any writing quirks, anything that you do that while you're writing that, uh, is just kind of weird or different. Like my thing is I always need to have water next to me. It doesn't matter what I'm doing or whatever. I won't even necessarily drink it. I just have water sitting there. Um, you know, I really can't even think of any, um, besides the fact that I always listen to music. Um, it's really hard for me to write, um, in silence or it's honestly even hard for me to write like in a room of other people are just doing their own work. Um, even in a room of full productivity, it's a struggle for me to write if I don't have something in my actual ears in my headphones playing. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. See, I'm the opposite. I usually, uh, write in silence or at least quiet. So that's kind of how it worked. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely easier if you can like are able to do that kind of stuff. I think most writers do usually have like headphones in though when they're in like because a lot of writers, especially in the sports industry, you have to write in places that are like gonna be noisy. So yeah. it's uh, it's good to have something that you're like just prepared to like stick in your ears so that you can listen to that instead. Um, yeah, uh, so that's pretty much uh, I think pretty much it for this podcast. Um, I wanted to thank you again for coming on, um, Eric. It's much appreciated. Um, it was really fun having you on. We'll have to have you on again. Uh, is there anything else, uh, you want to plug before we go? Um, yeah. So I obviously Marcus Gasol article we talked about, uh, is out on Grizzly Bear Blues. I had an Alfred Payton article on how he fits on, um, uh, with the Pelicans that's up at Hoops Habit. Uh, but you can check, you'll get all of my writing at, uh, Twitter at Eric Spiros NBA. Sweet. Yeah, definitely. Uh, go follow him on Twitter, go read his articles. They're really good. Um, Again, once more, that uh, the name of the article we talked about today is Marc Gasol's Passing Will Drive the Grizzlies. And like Eric said, it's up on Grizzly Bear Blues, so you can find that. Uh, yep, uh, if you want to find this podcast, um, it's called the Writer's Write Podcast. You can find it on Anchor.fm or the Anchor app. And now, also, brand new, I haven't talked about this because it just happened uh, since the last podcast, but this podcast is now on Apple Podcasts because I've had several people actually come to me and ask me if there was another way they could listen to it uh, that wasn't through Anchor or on the Anchor app. Um, and I've had enough people ask me now that I decided it's worth you know putting it on Apple Podcasts. So you can get the podcast there now and you can listen to it. Um, so thank you for the interest and people asking. I appreciate it. Um, so yeah, you can find it there and every episode from now on will be on there as well as on anchor. Uh, you can follow the podcast as well on Twitter at writers, right pod. 
where I will post the links to the episodes as well as uh, links to the articles that my guests have written. And until then, you can follow me at Howvolution on Twitter, and you can find my own online work at Raptors Republic, B-Ball Breakdown, and Scene Creek. Thank you for listening, and have a good day. Thank <laughs> you.